Mac Power Users, Episode 548, Brett Terpstra's New Robe. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, Stephen, how are you today? I'm good, David. How are you? I am doing very well. We have a guest today. It's a guy you've never heard of. We've never had him on the Mac Power Users before. Uh, who am I kidding? Brett Terpstra, welcome to the Mac Power Users. It's an honor to be here. As always. Uh, you may be the most frequent guest. I think we need to have like a system. We need like to make a, a sweater or maybe a bathrobe for you with mm. the MP logo yeah. on it. The five five timers club. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. W- <laughs> would you be a terry cloth guy or would you want like uh, some other fabric? For oh, your terry cloth all the way. All right. I am not a silk robe kind of guy. I don't know. I could see you. I think you would look pretty good in a silk robe with like only a, when I'm boxing. Yeah, maybe. And you need a pipe, you know. What am I doing, guys? We're here on the Mac know. Power Users. Uh, uh, Brett Terpstra is one of my favorite nerds and yours. He has all sorts of cool ideas, and it's always fun having him on the show. And I realize it's been too long. So you're here today, Brett. Before we get started, just a couple announcements. Sign up for the MPU newsletter, gang. We put the. Uh, the link in the show notes and then you get the show notes and a little bit of extra stuff thrown at you every Sunday when we release. Um, you can go over to the forums at talk.macpowers.com. And also I have an announcement. I'm doing a free keyboard maestro webinar. I've been thinking about doing this as part of these field guides for a long time. I finally got the system set up to do it. Uh, it's going to be free to everybody. You don't have to be a field guide customer and, Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to talk about context-based control of my Mac with Keyboard Maestro. I've got this really cool thing I've been doing lately based on whether I'm working on legal or Mac Sparky or whatever, and the tools I need just pop up, and it makes working really fast, and I'm going to share all that magic through Keyboard Maestro. I'm going to have a special guest or two. Rosemary Orchard is already in, Uh, and it's open to everyone and free on August 27th at 10 a.m. Pacific. If you're interested, go to MacSparky.com to sign up. That was a pretty compressed little bit there, don't you think, Stephen? Did that I do was, good? Yeah, it was great. I st- uh, that was the elevator pitch. Like now we're on oh, our man. floor, and Brett's yeah. waiting for us here. Yeah, man. <laughs> and Brett is sitting right here, saying, "Hey guys, what the heck? I'm on your show. <laughs> I'm good." You know, Brett, we haven't talked to you about in a long time. Is I don't even know what hardware you're using these days. I mean, are you still using that? Still rocking that Atari? You know, you know, <laughs> SC. <laughs> No, um, I was part of a startup that went sideways, but as a result, I got myself a new, well, new-ish, 16, 15, oh, what year is it? 16-inch. No, mine's a 15-inch. I got this like a month before the 16-inch was Mm. announced, so I still have a butterfly keyboard. Oh, no. (laughs) That's awesome. But I use it mostly with my, my ultimate hacking keyboard anyway, so... I do hate the keyboard. I will say when I have to use it as a laptop, I do hate the keyboard, but I do. And this is an unpopular opinion, but I love the touch bar. Yeah. Why? I have a lot of fun with the touch bar. I have it programmed so that when I'm in the shell, when I CD into a directory, it checks for one of my, I have a a thing called house it, which is basically um, make files for task runners. And so when I CD into a directory, it figures out what tasks I have that I can run and gives me buttons for them in the toolbar or in the touch bar. And I find it 
just really handy. I never have to try to remember, do I have this set up with gulp or grunt or make or rake? I just have buttons that pop up for me. It's awesome. Now, are you customizing the touch bar with better touch tool or did you do something else? So, okay. So the, the customization I just described was all done through, uh, iTerm, uh, which has escape codes you can send to modify the touch bar. But I do also use uh, better touch tool. And have you seen what's it called? Golden. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a some guy did a better touch tool preset that has like every possible option for the touch bar. Yeah. Um, it was too much for me. Like I wanted more control uh, and fewer things. Yeah. Golden chaos, I think is the yes. name of it. It's amazing. I mean, there's no way you can look at it and not think it's amazing. And if you haven't already customized your touch bar, I I would recommend giving that a shot. Uh, if you have your own customizations, though, it, it it will you know overwrite what you have. So sure, yeah. I and it's really not that hard if you've got better touch tool, which I believe is part of setup now. So you, if you've got a setup subscription, you can download that one or just buy the app. To... Also, if you have a setup subscription, make sure you're running the setup version so that developer gets his due for all the times you use his app. And then if you have set up, you should also download marked two and just leave it running in the background 24 yeah. seven. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say, I want to get you in trouble. But yeah, <laughs> you could do that. That's all I'm saying. No, yeah. but, but, but better touch tool is an app that, you know, started out and we've talked about on this show often, but it started out to, you know, remap things you can do with the, um, the, um, the trackpad. But then it's like Magic Mouse, an Apple TV remote. The mm-hmm. guy just went crazy, and <laughs> uh, and he. But giving you the ability to to remap the Touch Bar, I think, is something that for all the people that are cranky about the Touch Bar, my question always to them is: Have you tried customizing it to your own needs? What about you, Stephen? Have you done any of that stuff with the Touch Bar on your laptop? No, just because it's such a secondary system for me. Okay. I mean, I have Better Touch Tool doing a couple of simple things, but I haven't really gone full bore with it. Um, if I had a, uh, this is a question actually I had for Brett, is, is this something that you would use more if you could use it? Like a, if you had a touch bar for a desktop machine or you could have it, you know, somehow with your keyboard you normally use, like do you feel handcuffed a little bit that it's only available to you in these certain circumstances? Yes, because like I said, I'm primarily, I my laptop's on a stand and I'm using my ultimate hacking keyboard. So when I want to use those cool buttons I programmed, I have to reach over <laughs> yeah. to the touch bar. <laughs> and I would absolutely love to have a, a touch bar, uh, an external touch bar, I guess, that could be closer to my keyboard. Although it does keep my, if I sit too long, my shoulders get really tight. So this constant like reaching over actually keeps my arms limber. It's probably good for my health. But yeah, I, I would love an external touch bar. Could you imagine if Apple would just release an external touch bar? It's like a bar. It's like a like, skinny you know, little thing. Yeah. <laughs> it could like, come in one of those cool, like, you know, the Apple Watch band boxes are like real long and narrow. It could come in like a really nice box. You flip it open and it's just, yeah. it just like sit somewhere in your desk. And just playing devil's advocate here, what if they made it so that your iPad or your iPhone could display your touch bar and connect, uh, sidecar style to your Mac and you could put your iPhone in front of your external keyboard. 
and have all your touch bar stuff. It'd be awesome. I want to say somebody did that. I think somebody made an iPad app that uh, maybe I'm. Let's find it. I, I want if you find it, I want to know about it. You know what else you could do with this touch bar? You could sell an an add-on attachment that is the head of a fly swatter. Mm-hmm. And it would be like Apple branded, have an Apple logo in it. And it would fit on with a very unique system. And it would be $400. But you could kill a fly with it at the same time. I know that uh, Daniel Jalkett <laughs> made an app called uh, Touche, which is... yeah. Like, to, uh, yeah, the virtual touch bar that you put on your screen. I don't know if that yeah. would solve your problem or not, but that may be worth looking into. Yeah, I mean, it it would like I like the I like the tactile touch bar that I can use my fingers on. Mm-hmm. The reason I the reason better touch tool was so amazing for me is if I'm not using my keyboard, I want to get the most out of my trackpad. Like if I can't do everything with my keyboard. I love being able to use 20 different gestures to do what I want to do. And that's why the touch bar works for me because I am a very tactile user. So having something on screen that I have to go and move my cursor to click is less exciting for me. What if you ran touch bar or or touche and then put that on a sidecar iPad? You might be able to pull that off. Yeah, it seems feasible. We'll figure it out. All right, you'll have to have me on again. We'll talk about it. I, I like that you're the you're using it. I mean, it, it it's very popular among nerds to say the touch bar is stupid, but I can tell you, talking to like normal folk, a lot of people that like don't know Command B makes something bold, and they see that there's a bold button <laughs> on their touch bar, they think that's like it's like magic, you know. And um, so I think there probably is a bigger usage among people that don't listen to tech podcasts than there are among people that do it shows up it'll show you when you have a a a continue cancel dialogue and it shows you the buttons in the touch bar that cracks me up because yeah it's already enter in space we'll already do that and it feels it feels very redundant um i do like touch id for password dialogues but it's not universal so Mm -hmm. someday yeah, my, my favorite thing about the cancel and accept buttons is very often they would be the only things on the touch bar, <laughs> but they're not that wide. They're, they're like centered right. in the middle. <laughs> what? This is the laziest thing you could have done yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's silly in that respect, but but I do think if you have it and you're a power user, you have to get better touch tool and just mm-hmm. like, like I even just have the date on mine and I find myself glancing down at it all the time uh, because the it, weather, do you have the weather? I love the weather in mine. Yeah. So anyway, that's cool. And then your ultimate hacker keyboard. We talked about that. I believe the last time you were here a few years ago, but uh, you're still using it. Still happy with that. Absolutely. Love it. I've changed the keys out a couple of times, uh, but yeah, the keyboard is my absolute favorite piece of hardware. Yeah, and you're kind of known for that, Brett, for keyboard hacking, not only like the physical keyboard, but also just all the cool stuff you've done with uh, keyboard substitutions. Um, Key bindings, man. Yeah. Everyone should be using key bindings, but nobody believes me. Well, what's the future of key bindings with the changes happening on Mac OS? I, I have yet to test out all of my key bindings with Big Sur, and definitely haven't tested them out on an ARM Mini yet. So I can't speak to that yet. All right. 
I'm a little nervous about that stuff, to tell you the truth. I don't know if it's going to continue to work once we switch over to ARM or Apple Silicon. I got Big Sur all set up on an, on an SSD for testing. And then I did the test I needed to do, not realizing that I had left Backblaze running on the clone. Uh-oh. So then I had to do this whole thing to like reassign my Backblaze backup and like adopt it back into my regular system. Mm, and oh, it was man. such a pain that I have not booted Big Sur again since. I will get there, <laughs> but I have a mental block. Yeah, that's understandable. I get it. What about, now I know you primarily work on the Mac, Brett, but um, what is your you know iPad exposure these days? Are you doing much of it? Well, I have uh, a, an iPad Pro. I don't. I don't even remember what year. It's not the most recent. It, it is. It's great for. I, I don't. I just. I end up using iPads mostly for media consumption, and and watching videos. And I really thought if I got an iPad Pro and a pencil, I would start to make more use of it. But I actually use my older iPad uh, Air second gen uh i use it more often i think because i use it as a, a mixer for logic and i run some software synths on it and do some guitar processing with it and overall <laughs> it just ends up getting more use yeah i think maybe one day we may do a show on the ipad as a musical instrument because there's just so much you can do with it i i have a yamaha keyboard that you can plug an ipad into and you can change the voicings. They Yamaha's is really cool software now that you can take a song out of your iTunes and it'll pull the chords out of it. And it'll literally start like a player piano, start playing the backup chords. They don't do the melody, they probably legally are allowed to, but the um but you can literally just yank chords out of an audio file. I mean, Yamaha's got some killer stuff with this keyboard. And I uh I just use my iPad connected to it. So I, I get you there. And uh, maybe we'll, if Steven lets me, maybe we'll do a musical episode of Mac Power Users at some point. That is super cool. Okay, good. We'll, we'll put that on the list. Did you ever use the app Capo? Yeah, yeah. As yeah it, I it always thought it was like, Capo, but yeah. No, it's Capo. Like a Capo for a guitar. Capo. Yeah. Ah, capo. I'm a saxophone player. I don't know what <laughs> Uh, it was a cool app, but it sounds like what your keyboard does is even cooler. That's amazing. Yeah. So what Capo does was it's just slow it down, but keep it in pitch. So like if you want to learn. Oh, it, no, it started It started doing the, it would actually detect chords and give you basically oh, really? tab. It would create tab for your music. Yeah. They went to like a subscription model and, and had like a pro version with all that stuff. But originally, originally it was slow it down just so you can practice your solos over it, but it got more complex. When I was a kid uh, in the Cal State Jazz Band, I was trying to learn the Charlie Parker solo from Night in Tunisia. And the only thing I had was a cassette recorder. You'd hit rewind <laughs> and play. You know, It was so hard, man. Until like, you I wore the tape else. out and it was just tape hiss. Yeah, yeah. or, you know, just getting it or just, yeah, exactly. And you'd wear it out in the part you were trying to learn. Yep. Now with Capo, <laughs> you could have just slowed it down. I mean. Yeah. These kids today, they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, what about on the iPhone? Are you using an iPhone or are you just, you know, pigeons? What are you doing? Yes. iPhone is a constant companion for me. A lot of social media and games, obviously, but it also, it, it serves as a guitar processor even more often than my iPad does. 
um, apps like uh, t- uh, Tone of Tone Stack and uh, Bias and uh, Amp Amp Kit and yeah, I have a ton of guitar processors on it, and I love it as like a a, a pedal basically. Yeah. Do you need it? Do you need an adapter to get that connected to your guitar? Yeah. Right now, I'm using um, the one from IK Multimedia. Um, the pro version, I forget offhand what it's called. If you look up so, IK multimedia guitar iPhone, that would be it. So what it goes lightning to what? Uh, to a quarter inch jack. Okay. With a headphone pass through. Yeah. And then what about non-musical stuff with your iPhone? What are you doing with it? Oh, you, you've seen my home screen, uh, verb based folders. And I must have easily 300 apps on here that are all organized such that I can find them quickly. So to narrow it down to what else I do with my iPhone would take a while, but yeah. um, music listening, uh, are, these AR measuring tools are awesome. Photo editing. What now how AR measuring tools? I want to talk about that for a second. The, so that's the ability to have the iPhone snap a measurement for you. Just over the weekend, I was doing some home improvement and I got thinking, I should measure this with my iPhone. And then I decided, no, I'm going to measure it with a tape measure. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I didn't trust it. I mean, how how accurate is it and what apps do you recommend for it? I feel like, okay, boomer. Um, <laughs> I, the uh, the measure app that comes with iOS, with what it came out with 12, I think. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, the, that app is probably the most consistently accurate for me. I will admit that if you need a to the inch measurement to go to the hardware store with, I would not trust any of the AR measuring apps. Um, but uh, tap measure has worked well for me. Uh, I've, I've gone and purchased uh, uh, curtain rods, just measuring the windows with tap measure. So I have a certain amount of faith in it. All right. I mean, I, I mean, curtain rods are pretty adjustable in my experience. So. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it was pretty safe. The, it was the window that I was covering was at the maximum end of what the hardware store carried for adjustable width. Yeah. So if it had been two inches wider, the curtain rod would have fallen in the middle. So yeah. it it was accurate enough for that. Yeah. I was I was cutting a shelf, so I was just a little nervous that I you know, get a little too long or too short. Stephen, do you ever use the measurement stuff on the iPhone? Uh, I have, but like Brett, I know that there is a a limit to how good they can be. And if I'm doing anything serious, I'll definitely pull out a tape measure. Um, but yeah, for doing something quick, like you know, am I even close? I think it's pretty neat. And on the um, I'm looking through the the article about Apple's website. It can do some really cool stuff with the LiDAR scanner, which I don't have a new iPad Pro that has that. But I think this stuff is only going to get better as that hardware, you know, shows up on the iPhone this fall, like it's rumored to be. So I I think we're like at the beginning of this getting to be really good. I got to tell you, there's a cool app and this is like a perfect use for the iPhone as a measuring tool, uh, room scan. If you want to get the square footage of entire floors of your house, Room scan lets you go around each room and you place the iPhone flat on the wall 
and it uses GPS and the accelerometer to find which wall you're on and how far the points are from each other. And it will construct a floor plan of your house as you walk through and just put the phone on each wall. It's super nice. When you say put it on each wall, do you mean point at each wall? No, you put it flat. You hold it up against the wall. Yeah. And it'll it'll pause for a second, and then it'll tell you it's got it, and you move on to the next wall, and you can walk around the entire floor one wall at a time. And it takes about, in an average size floor, I would say it probably takes about 10 minutes, and you've got very accurate floor. So when you're doing your taxes and you want to write off your home office, that's how you figure out the percentage of space that your home office takes up. Excellent. I love that we get tax advice from Brett. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I think that's great. I, for some reason, whenever I get bored and I'm in some strange place, I try to figure out the square footage. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's like, you know how your brain just like, and once I figured out the size of a standard ceiling tile, it got really easy. Mm-hmm. But the, um, but yeah, that would be cool. But I, I can see myself walking in a friend's house and just start measuring their, their floor plan. <laughs> I'm not sure they'd be that happy with me, but hey. yeah, just so you know, my house is 500 square feet bigger than yours. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to definitely download this app, though, because that, like, scratches a obscure itch that I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad that you're finding good uses for your, your phone as well. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU and start protecting your privacy today and get 20% off. We have countless online accounts from social media all the way to our banking, and each one needs to have its very own secure and unique password to keep us safe. That's where 1Password comes in. You can use it to create strong, unique passwords, and the best part is you don't have to remember them. They're all stored in 1Password on all of your devices. So if you're at home, in the office, or on the go, you can log into any of your accounts easily. With 1Password for Families, you can share login information with the important people in your life. And with 1Password for Teams, you can create 1Password vaults for different coworkers managing access to critical information with fine-grained control. We even do that in the Sparks house. We have separate vaults in our family account. So my wife and I have a vault we share that the kids don't need to see. But then we've also got a family vault. Just last night, we set up a new streaming service. And of course, I put a 1Password password on the account. It's a strong, unique password. I didn't have to explain it to the kids or send it in a text message. I just put it in the family 1Password vault. They were able to immediately access it and then use it on their devices. It's great. And they're getting good at using security at the same time. 1Password works across a wide range of browsers on the desktop. The simple shortcut of command plus backslash opens 1Password in the browser with the correct login selected and ready to be filled. It's like magic. AgileBits stays on top of the newest features, meaning 1Password on iOS uses Face ID to let you quickly unlock your vault. And it integrates with autofill passwords so you can log in right from the standard iOS keyboard. This is great because staying secure shouldn't slow you down. One of my favorite features is the ability to create and store banking information. I often need to send someone routing account information. And instead of having to look it up every time or keeping it someplace less secure like Apple Notes, I know it's safe and sound encrypted neatly in 1Password. So head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to learn more and sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Start protecting yourself, your family, and your coworkers today 
Get one password at onepassword.com slash MPU. So, Brett, uh, one of the things that whenever we have you on the show, I want to get into something nerdy with you and something we've never really gone deep with you on the show is regular expressions. Um, I think this is something that Mac power users should take a stab at. We did a whole episode of automators on it last year. And I think that um, you'd be a great person to kind of share the love on this too. explain a little bit about regular expressions for listeners and why everybody should learn this stuff. Okay. Well, I wouldn't say everybody, but anyone who's listening to Mac power users definitely should learn this stuff. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Our family. Yeah. <laughs> um, regular expressions are a way to uh, target strings, uh, a way to search for strings where you don't know the exact content of the string, but it matches a certain pattern, you know, like four letters and two numbers or it starts with an AR and then has six letters after. Like you can define all of these criteria for matching any string. And when it comes to like search and replace or uh, any kind of string manipulation or uh, recognizing if you, if you have like a keyboard maestro uh, keyboard watcher that recognizes certain patterns when you type them, a regular expression is how you make it so that Anytime you type a date in a certain format, it will process that date instead of you having to type an exact string every time. It comes in handy across just about every type of automation application. Yeah, I mean, anybody who works with text can learn so much from this. And I think the fear of it is if you look at a regular expression, if you go to any regular expression teaching website, and we'll give you some recommendations when we finish up here, and you look at like a finished regular expression, you're just going to be like, it's like a forehead smacking moment. Like what language is that? It really is its own language. Yeah. But it is, it's logical. And if you like to, you know, if you want to look through a document and find every, you know, instance of the word with bananas, but where bananas isn't surrounded by the word tomato or whatever, you can put this stuff together. And I think this is something if you spent like anybody listening to the show, if they just spent an hour with one of the resources we're going to share with you, um, you could learn enough of this to be useful. And if you're aware of it, that's all you need to be is aware of it. Then when you need to use it, you can always go look up the syntax again. You don't have to memorize it. You know, it's not a test. Yeah. Well, in like uh, apps like expressions, uh, which is available on setup. And then there's another one called patterns. Uh, they have cheat sheets built in so that, well, and I think regex101.com uh, has a cheat sheet so you can kind of build things almost drag and drop to build your regular expression and in the process learn. Like, so next time you know exactly what to do. I learn really well that way. Something that, yeah. something I can say, this is what I want to do. Show me how I do this particular task. And then I will dissect that and learn from it. It, and it's just so useful. I mean, uh, there'll be people listening to the show that don't need to learn Xcode. They don't need to learn how to program their own apps. But people listening to the show also, they're power users. And regular expressions are just like I think JavaScript are, are two excellent power user tools. The uh, Another way to learn it, if you've got BBEdit, I learned it actually from the BBEdit manual years ago, but the most recent version of BBEdit has like a regular expressions lab built into the application 
So as you type your regular expression, it live searches for you and shows you what's working and whether it's not working. And um, I talked about this on that automators episode. We'll go ahead and link that in the show notes as well. But um, when I do some of the litigation stuff I, I do, we would get these, you know, many, many boxes worth of documents. So we would send everything out and get it scanned and we would have them do optical character recognition. And the OCR is pretty good on those commercial OCR companies. So we'd have, you know, this, you know, multi-million word file of text and I would just drop into BB edit and I would run a regular expression. If there was something I wanted to ask a witness about and lawyers do this, they, they like, there's, there's like 15 pages of relevant documents, but they'll give you 15,000 pages and kind of dare you to find those 15 pages. Um, so, but with a regular expression, it was easy. <laughs> you know, I could always, cause I knew what I was looking for. I type it up and it would come, Oh, it was in box 32. You know, it's like a cheat code. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just feel like this is something people should do. And I know that, you know, every time we have you on, I like to talk a little bit kind of nerdy programming stuff. And this is one. How did you learn it? Um, so I first encountered regular expressions uh, when I was learning how to write TextMate bundles. And I learned how to write TextMate bundles by just taking them apart and figuring out what they did and uh, it's also how I learned Ruby, uh, basically just taking apart TextMate bundles. And in the process, I ran into these strings that made zero sense. And I had to ask the TextMate mailing list for a little help. And they got me down to, they got, I got the O'Reilly book on regular expressions and started learning my way around. And it's a little annoying because there are different flavors of regular expression, uh, but the PCRE is pretty standard, uh, which is basically Perl regular expressions. Uh, it's what most most searches will use. But um, yeah, I just kind of built from there and learned more and more shortcuts and tricks over time. Uh, got a lot of corrections from people when I'd publish regular expressions, and I learned from I learned from criticism. And someone would say, you could have done this in three characters. And I would say, cool. Yeah, I don't worry about that too much, <laughs> honestly. I mean, if it's a longer expression, I don't need to be the most efficient. I just need it to work. But like, even when you look at these shortcuts that will like parse text, like if you put a bunch of text into a shortcut on your iPhone or iPad and it pulls the ones out with a dash in the front of it and it turns mm -hmm. it into tasks, that's a regular expression doing that. Well, and there's... Uh... There's an app called Renamer for file renaming that lets you use regular expressions to rename files. Uh, so that's an excellent application. If you have a bunch of file names that are similarly named and you need to convert, say say they're date named, but they, they start with, uh, it goes like month, day, year, and you want it to go year, month, day, you can use a regular expression to reformat all of those files, even though they all have very different names. All right. So um, we've talked about a few resources, I think, to get started with it. The O'Reilly book, regex101.com. That's a website that Brett has recommended. I haven't heard of this other website, regexer, R-E-G-E-X-R.com. Yeah, it's it's very similar to regex101, a little less uh, of the 101 part, but it's a great tester for just seeing how your regular expression is going to affect your sample text. Yeah. And then there were, I forget what's the name of the setup. 
um, app you had recommended. Expressions. Expressions. So that's pretty easy to remember. Yeah. And then I would recommend the BB Edit manual and even the BB Edit tools. I think you can get a 30-day trial of BB Edit and learn regex in there as well. And the thing I like about BB Edit for regex is that that um, app can take anything you throw at it in terms of yeah. like, you know, multi-million word files. Yeah, sure. No 100 problem. megabyte text file, it can do it. it yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It, it just never stops. Mm. Steven, have you ever gone down the regex rabbit hole? Uh, on rare occasion where I've needed to do something really finicky and, and I'm at the level of I've got to look it up every time. So yeah. uh, by no means uh, an expert. But it's funny, I've actually used Regex 101 before to do some of that, like test out what I think is going to happen. Um, so you you can go into this with no knowledge and, and get some basic stuff done. I don't think this is as, is as scary as it looks on the surface. No. Yeah. Obscure search and replace or interesting automation just the knowledge that it exists, you know, can give you the power to use it. And it, it's not that hard. If a bonus, bonus tip, uh, Mark II's search in document search actually allows regex. If you just surround it with forward slashes. I didn't know that. You can search your markdown text using regex, just using marked. I should have mentioned at the top of the show, Brett is also a developer and he's <laughs> made several apps, one of which is marked too. Um, which, uh, is on my Mac right now. So, uh, same. Yeah. So, so we got, uh, you know, I, I did the, the, I broke the cardinal rule of podcasting. I started with the, the really nerdier stuff without starting with the simpler stuff. But I, I do want to talk with you about just automation in general on the Mac. Um, I know because you primarily use the Mac to get your work done and you're an automation, you know, guy, you're always thinking about ways to automate things. Uh, share some of your favorite automations you're using recently on your Mac. Oh, well, like I said, a lot of my stuff gets super nerdy, like uh, key bindings I, I use constantly, but those are edited through a plist file hidden on your drive. And they it uses an obscure syntax to do so. And it's not accessible to most people. Yeah. Um, but I do have... Uh, a GitHub repo with all of my, like every key binding I've ever written is there's an example of it in a key bindings file there. I'll send you a link if you want, but that kind of stuff is it's accessible if you are willing to dig into it, but I'm using Hazel. I'm using uh text expander constantly keyboard maestro. Like I, I think I use just about, every possible automation system, including a bunch of my own uh, launch D tasks that handle pulling in data and sorting things. And yeah, what don't I automate? <laughs> you know, one of the apps you and I were talking about recently that I think the audience would like to hear about is one we've never mentioned on the Mac power users, this app called hook 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 is a hard app to explain, but once you, once you try it, I think you'll immediately sense the possibilities. Um, let me try to explain it. Uh, so you and your users are familiar with tagging to some extent. Uh, the idea that you can put a similar tag on multiple files and then be able to use a smart folders to see all those files together. Hook is a direct way to say this file hooks to this file and this file hooks to this OmniFocus task, and this OmniFocus task, task hooks to this website. And to kind of 
create collections and links between all kinds of different things. So you don't have to store them in one place. You can just pop up hook on any one of the linked items and see everything else that's hooked to it and quickly navigate between them and navigate through like nested hooks. And it has functions where it can create new items from templates. So you could have it like create a new text file that's automatically hooked to whatever you're currently hooking from and uh, edit your in your default editor. Like I said, it's not super easy to explain, but it's full of possibilities. Well, I mean, it is, the name does explain it though. It's a hook. And for instance, like Brett was saying, you can, I've been playing with this app too, and I'm really impressed by it. Honestly, uh, the, uh, the keyboard shortcut is shift command space, the default keyboard shortcut. Cause so it's just, it's just basically, you know, spotlight plus shift. And the thing that's impressive about this app is the vast array of things you can hook together, like an OmniFocus task, an email, and a file. I mean, when I first started playing with the app, I thought it was just for hooking files together. But where it really gets the power is when it's pulling elements out of other applications. Yeah. And it has an expandable dictionary of uh, scripts for... So if you have an application that has a way through Apple Script to get the file name and get a link to whatever element of the application you want to hook, you can add support for it just through the hook preferences. There's a section called scripts and you can extend it to work with just about anything that has Apple script capabilities. Yeah. This is something that truly I think could only exist on the Mac um, mm. with the existence of Apple events, which I, I just, man, if I had a time machine, I'd go back to the original iOS team and say, please, please, yeah. please, you know, but they didn't. <laughs> Uh, but it, it is still really powerful. So if you, I mean, you know, what's this an alternative to? You had talked about tags. It's also an alternative to a folder, right? You set up a project right. folder and you put different files of different types in there. But what make hooks, what makes hook interesting is that number one, you could hook that folder and, but you can also hook, like I said, tasks and emails and things that normally really wouldn't easily go into a folder. So um, oh, and check this out. If you create a hook to an email and then send that hook to someone else, it will actually work on their, it'll reference the same email on their system. So long as they have the email in their system. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But you can reference, like when you write to someone and you want to reference a previous conversation you had with them, you can just yeah. send a hook link to that previous conversation and it'll work for them. Yeah. And they have to have hook installed on Correct. Their, their Mac as well. But it's just, you know, it's really kind of ingenious. It's something I never thought of. And um, Luke, the guy that makes the app really is, is, he's not done yet. I mean, if you read the website, there's, there's a lot of plans for this app. Tons, big roadmap. All right. Well, I think that's a cool app and it's very automation friendly. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Uh, then there's another one that you wanted to mention called Bunch. <laughs> Yeah, Bunch is another app I, I, I wrote over a lunchtime and then expanded on over a lunch break and then expanded okay. on. Uh, there are other apps that do similar. Uh, basically, it's a batch launcher. Uh, so you can, with the click of a button, launch eight different apps and two websites. And But the beauty of it is that it runs off of text files. You just have a folder and each text file has 
a list of apps to launch, a list of apps to quit. You can run shell scripts, workflows, Apple scripts. Uh, it has some commands you can turn like um, uh, do not disturb on and off. You can change your desktop wallpaper. Like I have a bunch that's for screencasting that stops Dropbox and or that's a podcasting one. Uh, the screencasting one changes my wallpaper and loads up ScreenFlow and hides all my other applications. Basically, you can set it. It's like a batch file, like from DOS days with a little extra syntax and it's free. And I feel like everyone should try it. That's what I like about you, Brett. It's like, for me, I would see that problem and say, oh, I need to write like a keyboard maestro script. And you're like, no, I'll write an app. Well, so I had, <laughs> I, I had done, I had written enough Apple scripts for different tasks that I started to think, you know, what would be really nice is if I didn't have to recreate this line by line every time. And I just had a text file so then I wrote uh, an app just to read the text file I needed to and then decided, oh, this would be really easy to just make it general and let everyone in on it. So yeah, it did evolve from a bunch of individual Apple scripts for different tasks. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea complete with a unique domain name, a bunch of really cool award-winning templates, and more. So go over your website to-do list. Maybe you need a store or a way for people to donate. Maybe you want a portfolio or to host videos or write a blog. Which Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of those things. Now, there's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about. No upgrades are needed. You don't have to worry about it because Squarespace has it covered. If you have any questions, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. Their system lets you easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. One of my favorite things about working with Squarespace with clients is being able to hand a website over to somebody once I have it built, and they can just keep their content up to date as time goes on. It's really great to be able to hand something over and just be a resource for them if they have any bigger questions. Squarespace plans start just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So, Brett, when we were talking, uh, getting ready for uh, you coming on today, you told me, oh, and by the way, I'm using Firefox as my primary browser. And I just stopped you right there. I said, wait, I, don't tell me another word. I, I need to hear this when we record the show. You're using Firefox. I. I don't know anybody that's using Firefox, but you're a smart guy. I need I, I need the story, Brett. What's going on? Okay. So my elevator pitch for Firefox is, do you like the privacy and speed of Safari? And do you like the extensive collection of ex, uh, extensions available for Chrome? Why not have both? All right. So like Firefox has come a long way since, I mean, most people remember Firefox from the 90s or early 2000s, maybe. 
Uh, it has been completely rewritten since then. It is super fast, super slick. Uh, it renders, uh, if, if a website works in Chrome, it works in Firefox. It has decades worth of uh, plugins available. So literally anything you want to do or anything you're currently doing in Chrome, you can do in Firefox. The only thing that was keeping me from switching before was the extension Workona. And that was not available on Firefox. But the day it became available on Firefox, I started making the the switch over. The developer tools are outstanding. Uh, there are things available in the Firefox developer tools uh, that are not available in the Chrome developer tools. So from a developer's perspective, I have like no reason not to use Firefox. The Okay, so it doesn't have AppleScript at all. That is the only thing that's that's been a real uh, niggle for me is I can't easily get like a list of open tabs from a service because it has zero ability to return like current tabs or URLs or anything. How is it on battery life? I mean, one of my big complaints against Chrome on a laptop is it just really chews through your battery where Safari actually cares about battery life. Right. It Firefox falls between Chrome and Safari, but closer to the Safari side of, of CPU and memory and battery usage. One thing that comes to mind is with Safari 14, it's going to be easier for developers to take these extensions and bring them to Safari. Now, there's still going to be more hoops to jump through than Chrome or Firefox, but do you, do you think that would be enough if those tools to bring you back to Safari? Are there other things you like about Firefox too beyond the extensions that more act like Chrome now? So in, in, in all honesty, I use Choosy and I'm always running at least two different browsers. Uh, there are definitely things that uh, work in Safari that don't work anywhere else for me. Sure. Uh, there are reasons to use all different browsers. The chances that I would ever focus myself to a single browser are pretty slim. And if a if a uh, extension like Workona became available for Safari, uh, which the developers of Workona have winkingly acknowledged could happen, then yeah, I I I have nothing against Safari. I do think that the developer tools in Chrome and Firefox are superior to what Safari has and probably ever will have because their focus is not on developers uh, in that regard, as far as I'm concerned anyway. So what is Workona? You've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm not familiar with that extension. It lets you create workspaces and then assign tabs. So you like create a new workspace and every tab you open is automatically part of that workspace. And then you can, with one click, close that workspace, but then anytime, just click that workspace in the list again and restore all those tabs. And it's easy to drag tabs around and between workspaces, and you can bookmark uh, tabs within workspaces to make them kind of like pin tabs. And it's just a really great tab management tool and a way to uh, contextualize your your web browsing so you don't have 100 tabs open at once. Everything's organized into context. Yeah, and I, on their website, they says Safari extension status colon planned. So apparently yeah. they're looking at it. I mean, Apple really has opened it up, but I, I do think, like Steven said, it's not going to be as wide open as it is on Firefox no. and Chrome. No. Well, and there's something to be said for that, but 
I like the huge number of extensions available on both Firefox and Chrome. Yeah, you know, I have to admit, I hadn't opened or even downloaded Firefox in ages. And after you told me you were going to do this, I went ahead and installed it. And it is nice. And I'm not particularly happy about using Chrome. Occasionally, I need to. I'm going to try and switch to Firefox as my secondary browser. Well, and privacy. Yeah. Mozilla, Mozilla takes privacy as seriously as Apple does. And they, I mean, they just created their own VPN. They have privacy statements everywhere. Uh, if you are concerned about privacy at all, you should ditch Chrome and get Firefox. That's a selling point right there. Yeah, I agree. And I am super interested in the world of extensions because I've always kind of made Safari my primary browser. And for me, the reason for that is because it's so baked in and I use all the Apple devices. It's very convenient and the battery thing. And the privacy thing, but I, I do, I do want to use extensions if they're safe and, you know, and usable. So I'm, we're going to have to talk about extensions more on the show as that becomes more of a thing in the future, but, but you sold me, I I'm going to, I'm going to start using Firefox as my secondary browser, but I, I'm going to start using it again. I like the icon. <laughs> it's awesome. Isn't it? Uh, one of the reasons I do frequently open Safari is the reading list. Uh, yeah. I can use Firefox on my phone. They have a good iOS app and I can get easy sync between my desktop and my phone. But when you're opening up a website inside of another application, it's always going to use Safari. And the only ubiquitous bookmarking tool there is the reading list. So I tend to, if I'm not using Pinboard, I put it on the reading list. And then when I'm on my desktop, I'll open Safari and uh, if I need to open a reading list item in another app, there's a good, there's a choosy extension for Safari. I can just click it and then pick a browser. But that is one thing that definitely will probably always be Safari's domain. Stephen, you ready to switch to Firefox? I mean, I get it as a, as a secondary browser and I'm like everyone else where I haven't thought about Firefox <laughs> in a long time. <laughs> um, I switched to Safari full time maybe a year ago or so and have been pretty happy with it. But there are those things that I need to use Chrome for, you know, the one or two websites that I need to use on a regular basis or, or have something just segmented off. Um, but one question I had was I know uh, Chrome has multiple profiles. So I could have Chrome have three profiles, one logged into, you know, this Gmail account, one logged into this one. They all have their own bookmarks and theme. Does Firefox have that sort of feature? Uh, it has similar, uh, yeah, and you can set up multiple sync profiles. Um, it also does something called fencing. So you can have three different browser windows with three different Facebook logins at the same time, all of them fenced within the browser window so that there's no tracking outside of Facebook. But it also means you can have multiple accounts with cookies open at the same time. Wow, that, that's my idea of hell right there. Three Facebook windows. <laughs> sure, sure. But, but, but the, the benefit to that is automatically when you visit Facebook and Firefox, a little fence icon shows up in your, in your URL bar. And that means that it is confining Facebook to Facebook and it's not going to track you out when you leave and go to another website. Like it's that kind of privacy future that's worth it. That's that's unrelated to profiles uh, in answer to Stephen's question. But there, it does have a certain amount of uh, sync profiling. 
not not to the same extent as Chrome. Okay. Uh, this week's more power users. We're going to talk about how I was using my Mac in virtual reality while orbiting the earth over the weekend (laughs) using an Oculus. And I had to get a screenshot out of it so I could share for the MPU show notes. And the, uh, the only way you can do it because Oculus is owned by Facebook is to log into a Facebook account. There is no way to get a screenshot out of an Oculus without a Facebook account. And I hadn't logged into Facebook for like three years. And it was like, (laughs) Do I really want to do this? So if the MPU audience ever question my loyalty to them, I logged into Facebook for you guys over the weekend. And Lord only knows what that's going to result in for me in the next three weeks. <laughs> that's your episode title right there. I logged into <laughs> Facebook for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's that's actually, uh, you make a good case, Brett. I knew you would, but I wanted to hear it on air. And, um, and uh, Firefox, it's still a thing. It's it's more of a it wasn't a thing for a while. There yeah. was a there was a period where Firefox truly was old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Everything else had moved on and they hadn't. But Mozilla is, is making a comeback. Good for them. We you know we need that though. I mean because all of the other browsers are platform vendors. You know I, mm-hmm. I like that there are independent browsers still around. Yeah. Now do you run Ask Jeeves on it? No. <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't Angel help. Fire? Couldn't, couldn't help. Hotwire? Right. No, wait. Hot. Not Hotwire. What was the search engine that was hot something? Yeah, I remember too, but I don't remember. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember when Google was a new thing. It's like, hey, you should try this out. Mm hmm. We talked about Markdown last week. You did a whole show on it. And uh, we're not going to have the pleasure of your company for the feedback episode when it comes around. But, you know, you have published and written about and even made apps around Markdown. So I thought we'd do just a little bit of follow-up on Markdown while we had you on the show. How are you using Markdown these days? Well, I mean, all of my notes are in Markdown. uh, And I only use note-taking apps that handle markdown but because it's plain text that's that's a pretty broad definition mailmate one of the major selling features of mailmate for me is that it has markdown support in the mail compose window by default and it recognizes markdown syntax it won't try to offer you a preview until you actually type something in markdown uh, but then it'll show you an HTML preview as you write your email. And I don't know of any other email apps that are doing that right now. And for me, that's a huge benefit. I guess, really, I use Markdown everywhere. And it's really cool to see, like, uh, in Slack and even on Facebook, there's some support for emphasis and links and code blocks, especially Slack, being able to just communicate in Markdown. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, and you just released an update to the Markdown service tools. Thank yeah. you for doing that. We we talked about that last week, but if you have any interest in Markdown, you can go to Brett's website and download those. They're just it's just a great set of a toolkit for Markdown on the Mac and and I I use some of them often, you know. And and then you also support it in Mark 2, which we mentioned earlier. Just to kind of explain Mark 2 for folks who haven't um heard of it before i have a quick question about the markdown service tools did you try the revised version of the multi multi markdown to rtf service i have not used that one yet no 
I also rarely have a need for it. But if, if you write in Markdown in like mail app, uh, you can convert it into rich text right in place. And it was broken for a long time. And that was one of the things I finally was able to fix for the latest release. So nice. It's cool to watch. If nothing else, it's cool to see it happen. Yeah. So my, uh, my mail workflows, I write the mail in drafts yeah. in Markdown. And the, my, that's my, you know, productivity tip is don't write in mail because <laughs> then you get distracted, but no, that's cool. And but you could do that in any presumably rich text editor. Yeah. Have you tried, have you tried it in Microsoft word? I have not. That, that would be kind of fun. <laughs> I, I would be curious. I don't even own words. So you'll have to try <laughs> I, it for I me. I will report back on that yeah. one. I'll give it a shot. So you were asking about Mark two. Yeah. Um, the elevator pitch for that would be if you're working in Markdown or any similar text markup language, uh, it makes it possible to turn any editor, any text editor into a full markdown editor by offering you a live preview every time it saves, it updates. And with some apps like the archive and NB Ultra and drafts, there's a streaming update. So you can use it as a live preview as you write in those apps. Um, and it offers a ton of writing tools, everything from showing you uh, overuse phrases to your word count and your fog index scores, grade, grade score reading levels, spell check grammar check it does more than it should yeah i mean this app started out as a markdown preview tool tool but it's been fun as a user watching it turn into just a writing utility i mean i honestly think you're selling it wrong i mean it's just (laughs) the the markdown stuff is great but that's it does so much more and and it doesn't just deal with markdown it like it deals with scrivener files and it deals with code and it's like i feel like it's like every day brett wakes up and says what feature am I going to add to Mark today that I may or may not tell anybody about? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it got it got to the point where if I advertise every feature I added, I would be immediately accused of bloat. So I make the features, new features, as unobtrusive as possible and uh, discoverable for people who would need them. But uh, the preferences in Mark are already a bit overwhelming. So a lot of it... Uh, but you're right. There's a there. There are a lot of features to it that, uh, at surface level, you would probably never realize. Like I, I find the grammar stuff and the the you know suggestions and the word critique stuff very useful. And if you write in a word processor or a text editor, I'll relay text editor that doesn't have that tool set. It's like, like you want to add that tool set to text edit, download Marked, and you're good. But yeah. anyway. Like Ulysses, yeah. Ulysses' new grammar check features are outstanding. I don't know if you've used that, but it basically uh, it provides that kind of Ulysses uh, grammar check feature for your, you know, if, if you're just using text edit, uh, you can still have all that. Now, uh, Brett, you also made an app that we all love called EnvyAlt for many years, which was one of the greatest like text capture and storage tools on the Mac. And you have been working for some time on NV ultra. Can you just give us a, a, a status update for folks who are interested? Sure. NV ultra is it's in private beta right now. There's a couple thousand people helping test it. I do expect that we will go live before we go to a public beta. So the next step would be, 
to actually get it out for sale. We are still, we're trying to figure out what business model we're going to use. Fletcher and I are both uh, at our core against the idea of subscriptions, but for some of the things we want to offer with it uh, and some of the upgrade paths that we would like to have available, subscription actually is starting to make sense. So we're going through a long uh, debate process about that. Once that's figured out, it's basically ready to go. Uh, we are shooting for release in in August, but I can't promise that yet. All right. So keep an eye. Where, where should people go to uh, keep up with it? NVUltra.com. Uh, there's a, you can sign up for the mailing list there. I have uh, 11,000 people on that mailing list, and I've never sent out a single email because uh, I don't want to overwhelm people with news updates. Uh, there's also a, there will be emails though, uh, to finish that sentence, but, uh, also envy, envy ultra app on Twitter is where we, uh, we tend to post minor update stuff. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by indeed go to indeed.com slash MPU and get a free $75 credit to boost your job posting. One of the greatest challenges we face is taking all the information available to us and knowing where to focus. This happens in all areas of work and life, including hiring. With Indeed, you have access to the largest pool of talent and you can hire the right people and quickly. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored job posts, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts. That means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash MPU. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash MPU. Terms and conditions apply and offer is valid through September 30. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So, Brett, uh, we've got a big transition coming up for the Mac to Apple Silicon. You are a guy who lives at the edge on the Mac, you know, <laughs> the, the, with all, well, I mean, the terminal stuff you do. I mean, you are definitely pushing the envelope as to what we can and can't do with the Mac. Um, have you given any thought to what this Silicon transition is going to mean for some of the stuff you're, you're up to? Yes. Uh, a lot of what I do, like you said, is terminal based and uh, homebrew is an essential tool for me. And while homebrew is currently working on ARM minis that are out there, uh, most of the formulas it can install are not, which pretty much cripples. Like I have, I have, I have a, a DTK mini. Uh, that I can't talk extensively about, but I can say I've been able to recreate my development environment and all of the tools I need to to compile marked on it. But it has taken a lot of effort. That said, 
there are people currently working on converting all of the formula to be able to compile for ARM. And I do see a day, uh, probably by the time they make their two-year transition, that a lot of it will work. So it's rough right now, but I, I see hope. Yeah, uh, and I've been talking to some developers that make utilities as well. People who are listening can probably figure out which ones I've been talking to, and and they all feel pretty confident that it's that you know their stuff is going to work. But they're they're not terminal tools, you know, they're more yeah. traditional Mac applications. Yeah, and b- between between Rosetta and Universal Binaries, I I don't think it's going to be. I think it'll be even less of a a problematic transition than the one to Intel was. Uh, I think it'll take just as long as that transition did, but I think Apple's really covered their bases on making sure people can still use everything. The, uh, one of the parts of this I'm really excited about, you know, they just had that article we'll put in the show notes from the uh, Apple AI expert talking about artificial intelligence on Apple equipment and how now we will have the same, processors and Macs and all the potential that gives us. I mean, I just feel like there's a bunch of pieces to this that we haven't even considered yet. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the potential is huge. I do think it's those sorts of utilities and, you know, things around the edges that people have to think about when upgrading. We went through this a year ago with Catalina killing off 32 bit software, right? Unless you checked beforehand, uh, you would, <laughs> reboot into your new OS and run into uh, run into issues. And it, it's very often the thing that you may not use every day, but it's the thing that when you need it, it's, it's the tool that fits the problem. Right. Um, Brett, could you talk a little bit more about Rosetta and Universal 2 and how that works with some of these, you know, command line utilities and other things? Are there things out of the reach of Apple's technology that we just have to wait on updates for? I honestly am not sure Rosetta applies to most command line utilities. It has not been my experience thus far that anything compiled for uh, an Intel processor will run from the command line on an ARM mini. So I might be missing a piece there. And maybe there's a way to funnel it through Rosetta. But by default, it just tells me that it's not a recognized uh, compiler. Okay. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I did some reading before this too, and Apple lists some things that are not covered under Rosetta two, things like kernel extensions and some yeah. other sort of real low level things. But it seems like these command line utilities that a lot of us use, uh, we are waiting on the you know either the open source community behind them or the developer behind them to have them compiled for ARM. And I'm ho- I'm hopeful that by the time our Macs are shipping, we're going to see the first system this year. Apple said that at least the the major things will be ready, and uh, hopefully the the smaller, maybe less popular utilities will will come right along. But if you're out there listening and you're thinking, oh my gosh, keyboard maestro, Hazel, things like that. Those should all be mostly okay. We're really talking about things that you're doing in terminal on the command line itself. And things like Carabiner, which anyone who follows me is familiar with the hyper key. And Carabiner is an essential part of that. And that's a kernel extension that is going to, I have no idea what their plan is there. 
Yeah. So Carabiner allows you to do a lot of key remapping stuff, but what it's really known for, at least for those of us that don't want to go as far down the stack as bread has is it's got a button in there. You can press that remaps the caps lock key to be shift command control um, option option. Mm -hmm. So you get, basically it's like holding down four modifier keys and it opens up an entirely new set of modifier keys. I use it with, tech with a keyboard maestro because all of a sudden my entire keyboard is blank for you know scripts to run if i just hold down the caps lock key and i can tell you somebody who's running the beta of big sur it's broken doesn't work i've had to remap all of my keyboard maestro hyper key <laughs> stuff and it's very sad because i'm running out of keys and uh anyway <laughs> what yeah. are you gonna do and i, I don't know that that's something that's gonna survive you know i, I feel like that may be one door that gets shut with the uh, with the new software i want to believe that where there's a will there's a way but yeah i don't know either I, I wish apple would just build it in the system and let us remap the caps lock key in system i mean why not i will say that with the ultimate hacking keyboard you can do that at a hardware level uh the reason that i still use carabiner is a for my internal keyboard on the laptop but b because I can map it so that if I just tap the caps lock key, it functions as escape. And yeah. I cannot use Vim anymore. My my muscle memory has always, I use the caps lock key instead of the escape key, which is great also if you have a touch bar. And I would, I would severely miss uh, that capability. I would probably have to map my caps lock to escape and give up on the hyper key entirely if I had to make a choice. Yeah, well, that's a bummer. Yeah, but I have hope. I have hope. Things will come around. Yeah. Um, I always like to talk about some of our guests' favorite apps and services. Anything blowing your hair back these days, Brett? Oh, uh, well, we've kind of covered a lot of my favorite stuff. You know what? Have you heard of Descript? No. Yes. Oh, my God. Systematic is making a return, and the first episode is with Merlin Mann, and I'm sitting on it for a little bit, but I will say that one of the things he pointed out to me was Descript, and it will take your audio or video files, create transcripts, and then you can select text in the transcript and hit delete, and it'll edit the audio for you. You can, <laughs> you can remove spaces. It'll automatically detect wells and ums and other filler words, and you can, with one click, remove all of those cleanly from the podcast. Uh, you can do all of your editing in Descript and then export uh, a non-destructively edited file ready for Logic or most other DAWs. And it has all of the edits you've created in there, but you can still you know, adjust the edges of them and everything as you need to. Uh, it, it's outstanding. It's unbelievably cool technology. Jason's using it on the new 20 max series he's doing on relay. And it, it really is. It seems like magic to me. I've played with it. some. I do think you need to take the step and open it in logic or whatever you're editing it and clean it up because some of the cuts it makes are a little abrupt, but it feels like the future <laughs> It is wild. It has overdub. You can, if you spend half an hour uh, training it, you can create a, a text-to-speech version of your own voice so that you can overdub lines that were misspoken 
it's not perfect, but you can just type in the text you should have said and it'll put it in for you. Wait, wait, how does it do that? It creates a, a, a text-to-speech synthesized version of your voice. Oh, no. Just like you would use, like, uh, say, or like the way Siri does it, you know, any synthesized voice, but it makes it of you and your intonation and your accent and everything. So I can sound like I'm from Minnesota. I can't believe that would work, but I'm going to try it. Like I said, not perfect. You can tell if you put in a chunk of overdub text. If you don't know what it is, you will scratch your head and you'd be like, that's a little off. Something's weird there. And then you press the cancel button. It's not it's not quite that drastic, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it can yeah. It, it'll it'll it's a head scratcher sometimes. Wow. That's cool, though. I like even just doing rough edits. I could see this working. Nice. Have you ever used DaVinci Resolve? I'm familiar with it. Have not used it. So I got into editing uh, videos. It started off, I was doing uh, some marketing videos for someone and then got into helping my girlfriend produce yoga videos for the uh, the pandemic era. And I was on the cusp of finally breaking down. And I haven't owned uh, Final Cut since like 2002. Uh, so I was on the verge of, of buying it again, the, the Pro X version. But then someone pointed out DaVinci Resolve to me, and it is an outstanding video editor with a full uh, digital audio workstation built in, uh, full color correction tools, all kinds of transitions, titling, everything you could need, a fast cut mode, and it's free. If you need to edit video and you're and you feel constrained by iMovie, dude, DaVinci Resolve, it's free. Yeah, and it's from Blackmagic, so you just know it's mm-hmm. like quality. Well, they're making it's free because they make their money on these uh like hardware setups that cost thousands of dollars. And so they're making software to back up their very high quality hardware. So yeah, you you know it's going to be good. Nice. You also were telling me that you're using Affinity a lot these days. I have not loaded Adobe anything for over a year now. Affinity is a, a welcome and complete replacement for all of my Adobe needs. Yeah. The thing I like about Affinity is that they aren't like Adobe cloning. They're just coming up with interesting and new tools that don't even exist. They did everything Adobe could do, and they and they kept a lot of the sh- keyboard shortcuts and a lot of the concepts. If you are a Photoshop or an Illustrator user, like it translates. But yeah, then they kind of they just started adding stuff that you won't find, and and even concepts that you won't find in Adobe programs. Yeah, those are great. Uh, hey, you said you're getting your podcast wound up again. Yeah, um, share the details. Um, okay, so I took. I took a couple months hiatus that turned into like a 14 month hiatus from both systematic and overtired. The one I do with Christina Warren. And uh, I recently decided I had my energy back for it and reached out to Dave Hamilton, who's helping with sponsorship sales. And I set up websites for uh, systematicpod.com and overtiredpod.com. And got all of the old episodes. For Systematic, I was able to recover a lot of the original episodes that had been lost in time. Uh, so the the full 230-some 
uh, episode backlog is now up at systematic systematic pod.com. And I'm doing six interviews this week and I've already got two in the can and it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Six in a week, man. You're an yeah, animal. That's six, including this show, six podcasts okay. in four days. I'm busy still. That's a lot of, a lot of talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm hoarse already. Well, I, I'm really glad I'm going to be subscribing to them. I'm really glad that you're, you're back up and running. Uh, so systematicpod.com, overtiredpod.com. Uh, Brett, where else should people go to keep up with the things you're doing? Well, brettterpshire.com is the central repository for all of my hacking and apps and everything. Uh, and then tt scoff is my handle on every social media network i'm probably most active on twitter but uh yeah and then the podcast that's pretty much uh all i'm listing right now to give people not too many choices yeah well also i'd recommend folks go to envyultra.com and check oh, yeah. that out uh, and that i am i'm really looking forward to seeing that app come out uh, it's gonna be great thanks i'm looking forward to it too all right. Well, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Today for the more power user show, I'm going to talk about blogging from space and and using my Mac in virtual space, which was a total trip. I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, you can find the forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com. And thank you to our sponsors today, 1Password, Squarespace, and Indeed. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>